I heard this morning that I was a, what was the word, Desi? I bluster? I was very copacetic and relaxed and driving through the mountains of Colorado trying to come home to church and hear across the internet come these words from someone who I thought was a fellow laborer (laughs) calling me blustery. I'm not sure how I should respond to that. (laughs) Anyway, I did enjoy his message, if not his comments. (laughs) It's good to see everyone. And uh, I'm here. I, I, I wanted to do my part in the service, the first part, but unfortunately, I have no idea why. But around Chester, the traffic slowed down between the airport and here, and I have no idea why. I looked for a wreck, no wreck. I looked for something, nothing. I still cannot figure out why traffic slows down when it slows down. It makes absolutely no sense. But anyway, I got in here in time to find out that I can choose to be a part of the solution. I did feel slightly abused with the comment that I did not, how did you put it, Russ, labor very heavily under the burden of trying to please everyone? That seems awfully unkind towards me, but anyway. Oh, well, he's has a right to his own opinion. (laughs) Uh, It's good to see everyone. Let me turn your attention to a specific passage in the letters to leaders, namely 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, beginning with verse number 1. And uh, so I'm going to read the entire passage through to you, and then I want to draw your attention to a couple of things uh, tonight. Obviously, as we are doing this series, please understand, even as short as these letters are, First and Second Timothy and the letter of Titus, as short as they are, um, we could spend months uh, deep diving on these. And so that is not the purpose. That's why I've told you in the series it's more topical. I'm, I'm more picking some things that I'm wanting to look at and wanting to draw your attention to, and hopefully in the process not thoroughly confuse you, but rather perhaps familiarize you. Uh, with these three letters written by Paul to his two sons in the Lord. And so writing to Timothy in chapter 3, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, the literal word there in Greek is um, episkopos, which means uh, in a non-technical sense, an overseer, someone who looks over things. And then it's come to be a more technical meaning of a bishop. And over the years, bishop has picked up all kinds of meaning to it. In this initial sense, it was most likely bishop in the sense of an overseer of pastors. You would think of a, of a city with multiple house churches, and then who unified those who oversaw each house church? That would have been the bishop. That would have been the episcopos. That would have been the overseer. And so in many ways, it would have been a pastor of a particular church. I know Dr. Brickle, uh, I also listened in on that while we were out of town, and uh, those letters to the angels of the churches that we're going to begin to look at this coming week, um, those angels were probably not the pastors of a local house church, but rather were the episcopos or the overseer of a particular city, the city of Philadelphia or the city of Ephesus or the city of Laodicea, etc. And so if someone aspires to be a church leader, here the NLT has gone more generic, but here it's this bishop, this overseer, this one who provides oversight. 
he desires an honorable position. So a church leader, a bishop, an episcopus, must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. And here, literally, the meaning of this is very hard to derive. The Greek literally means he must be the husband of one wife. So is he, is he speaking against polygamy? Well, possibly, but probably more speaking towards uh, the idea that he must be married only once or must be faithful, as the NLT says, to his wife. In other words, it's an attitude of conduct. And I won't get into all that was an option for Greek and Roman men of this time, but it was a far cry from being faithful to that wife. He must exercise self-control. He must live wisely. He must have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. And this has a particular sense to it, and I'm sorry to rain on all of you who feel that this is totally about small groups because it's actually not. Because the reason that this person would need to be comfortable with guests in his home is not hospitality in the sense of feeding them or, or housing them alone, but it would be that's where church was held. So if you had a home and you weren't okay with people coming to it, you were going to have a hard time fulfilling this role within the body of Christ because in this period of time, there were no churches as in our buildings. So he must, be, must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker. I don't know if that means we can be a light drinker, but the Greek, the Greek literally says must not drink too much wine. He must not be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. Here you hear a theme that Paul says, the love of money is the root and the source of all kinds of evil. He must not love money. This overseer must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? I know I was sitting uh, during the first part of the service, I was sitting in the back and, and listening to young families as they are struggling to be obedient to this scripture. And I thought to my wife, I thought that I need to affirm to my wife after service that we are definitely done with children. I don't care what my father says. He's not going to be along, around long enough to raise them. So... We're, we're, no, we're done, Dad. Sorry. Officially, I'm saying it by God's grace. If the Lord will, I'll put that in there, Lord, but really don't mess with me on this one. Yeah, I know. I know. And so the, uh, the challenge here is, is that if this leader cannot learn to run his own household, Paul says, then how is he going to also navigate all of the big babies in the church? No, that's not what he actually said. <laughs> but I think I heard something about that from... Our education pastor is just a little bit here that depending on our attitude, depending on the choices we make, sometimes we can act like big babies because we're not getting our way. Um, so not only is this, but then verse 6, it says a church leader, again, the same word, must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall or to fail, or excuse me, to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak of him well or speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall, here again, Paul's concerned, into the devil's trap. Then in verse 8, Paul moves on and he says in the same way. So at least in a similar fashion, if not identical, let's talk about deacons. 
And so he says deacons must be well respected and have integrity. And you'll hear as I read through these how much overlap there is in the wording and the qualifications and the requirements of the overseer of the bishop and of the deacon. In some ways, they're, they're, there's not as much distinction as there is similarity. Must be well respected, have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers. They must have had a problem back then or something. I don't know because this is twice he said it, okay? Must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money, okay? There's a particular emphasis here. They must not love money. The bishop is not supposed to love money. The deacons are not supposed to be dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed. And what's interesting is following this passage, which I won't get to tonight, is the passage we know very well, 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Here's Paul's articulation. He's saying they must be committed to this mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. So here's that theme again that we've already seen with the bishopric. Those who do do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others, and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you were to go back, because we're hopping and skipping and moving about these three letters, First and Second Timothy and also Titus, you will find that it's just a few verses before in chapter 1 that Paul begins to deal with his concern regarding right teaching. He begins to tell Timothy that he needs to guide the church away from bad teaching, false teaching. And we talked about that and the importance of doctrine and doctrine being founded upon the scriptures, the word of God revealed in the Bible. And then subsequent to this, in chapter 2, right before this passage, you will find Paul talking about women. And before I go any further with this passage, I need to deal with this, but rather cursorily, okay? I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to deep dive on this. There's another time and a place to do that. But if you'll read there, you'll find that Paul writes one of his most cryptic passages ever written. In fact, it's so cryptic that he uses a word that we literally cannot find anywhere in the ancient world. It is the only time this word is found in ancient Greek. And that's a problem because whether you know it or not, the meanings of words do not drop from the heavens. They come by reason of use. And they come by looking at how they're used in all kinds of different contexts. And then from that, these magic dictionary writers write them. I remember writing a paper for Dr. Robert Kraft, the University of Pennsylvania. And I did a deep dive and I went in and I did a huge lexical study of the word porneia, which is the root of fornication, but it's also the root of modern word pornography. I did this whole deep dive and I did it very well. And he said to me, he says, okay, Steve, he says, that was great work. He says, but... um, This is boring. All you did was tell me what other people have put together in the dictionary. 
because that's where our meaning of words come from. And so when I tell you that Paul, in speaking about a woman, in speaking about her teaching, in speaking about her being in submission, in speaking about her not usurping, that's the word, not usurping authority over a man or operating in independence from a man, and that's the only time the word is found, not just in the Bible, but in all of ancient Greek, I'm reticent to build too much doctrine, let alone polity and ecclesiastical uh, structure on a passage that the core of it is a word that Paul may have, God bless him and rest his soul in peace, he may have made it up. And I'm not saying he made it up out of whole cloth. I'm not saying, but Paul was a bright guy. If you hang around with me, I'll make up words too. You hang around me. Some of you that have hung around a little bit, you look at me like, is that really a word? I can see you Googling me and checking me out, see whether I really made that, whether that was a real word. All right? So if you read this passage, which I did not want to distract us with tonight, but if you read this passage right before this, and then you step into this passage where it begins to speak about a man. And here, ladies and gentlemen, yes, the ancient Greek, if you were speaking about men and women, you did use the male form, plural, to speak of men and women. But this one's not plural. This one's singular. So Paul, without question, is saying, if someone wants to be a bishop... That man should be the husband of one wife, whatever that means, whether it's simply faithfulness or he's actually dealing with a problem of polygamy. I think it was more faithfulness. And so we can begin to look at this passage and go, well, this is just all about men. But here's where I, I want to brush this aside, okay? And I don't want to spend too much more time than this and then draw our attention back. But there's a little bit of a problem that Paul has, and I'm sorry for this if this makes you as a modern uncomfortable. Paul never heard of systematic theology. He never heard of systematic anything. Okay? Paul was a very contextual person. I would, I would argue that, that a great example of this, and I kid you not, is go take, take Elder Beardsley and Elder Moss, take them out to breakfast and have them tell you stories and sit there and listen to their stories of ministry and try to systematize it. And I promise you that you will find contradictions in their stories. Why? Because pastoral care is always dictated and driven by a particular context. And there's emphasis that happens over here in this context and it what looks like conflict with that emphasis over here because of a particular context. Am I safe, Dad? Okay, am I safe, Dad? Okay, yeah. And, and, and so Paul, Paul is without question a pastor. He's a missionary, but these letters that we read, and these three letters, two written to Timothy and one written to Titus, are very much pastoral letters. They are letters written to young protégés teaching them and schooling them in how to care for the work of God. And, and, and to add to that, to add insult to injury, uh, Paul is very Jewish in his thought process, and that means the Jews are the Jews are great about having three opinions for each person. Like you can go read the rabbis, and you can find a rabbi with his own point, and then adding a third point that's in disagreement with those two points, and they did it routinely. Okay. And Paul was very, the term we use in scholarship is midrashic. He's very midrashic, okay? And, uh, and so he's very midrashic. And so when you put these two things together, it means that Paul, you've got to contextualize him. You've got to look at the particular example of where he's dealing with. 
And so the problem with this passage is, is that too many people want to ride this thing. My wife and I were talking on the plane as we were flying in, and, and she said, will it ever change? I said, no, because men want to rule. So it's not going to change. She said, yeah, but it's, can it be just misunderstanding? I said, okay, but it's not just misunderstanding. We want to misunderstand it because it buttresses our position because anything that says that I get to be something and you don't puts me ahead. Okay? God warned us of this in Genesis chapter 3, did he not? He said, you ladies are going to try to control things. And by the way, you do try to control things. And sometimes, most times, you succeed. And then you wonder why we get a bad attitude and come down on you like a ton of bricks. Because God said, the man's going to react to that and he's going to try to dominate. All the way to the place of violence or abuse. And I'm not excusing it. These are descriptions of sin. These are descriptions of brokenness. And so you've got to have a really open mind. You've got to be willing to let the Scripture speak. And so I take you to simply one passage that undoes this seemingly slam dunk, but it's the only passage on which to hang that there are offices or functions within the church that only men can fulfill. This is the only passage. The others, they don't hold up. And so I take you to just one real quick, and it's Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Now, if you know the book of Romans, you'll find that there's this whole letter. And then at the end, yeah, they're particularly lively tonight, Lil. I don't know what the deal is, but I, I heard them all throughout. All the kids are very lively tonight. I thought, boy, I'm glad they're going home with their parents, and I'm not going home with them. <laughs> and I love my parents, and I love my kids, so I'm glad they're here. But I thought, wow, they are lively tonight. By the way, just a side note, pastoral note, the closer you sit to them, okay, the less you have a right to complain about their noise. So some of you that are looking at me right now, let me look down so you're not looking at me, okay? Or if you're looking at me, I'm not looking back at you, and you're, and you're like, man, why don't these people get their kids under control? You know all that? Well, be a part of the solution. Get up here on the front row, and you won't have any problem. <laughs> Hallelujah! I felt the spirit on that one. All right. So Romans, he ends this magnum opus, this major work, this important letter to a church that does not know him but is skeptical of him. And then he moves to the section at the very end in which he basically gives greetings. And he has only one greeting that he brings for a person who is present. All the rest of the greetings that follow are either from people who are with him to people who are in Rome or greetings from himself to people who are in Rome. There's just one, 16 verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sincrea. Now, it's really funny because biblical scholars and churchmen down through the ages have done loop-de-loops trying to get around this one. So a lot of translations you'll find that they'll say, oh, no, 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 that was the office of a deaconess. And a deaconess is separate and different from a deacon. It's a female office as opposed to a male office. Got bad news for you. It's the same word. Yeah. Same word. Don't get to make that up. Sorry. Same word. Then others will want to, they will read First Timothy as an office. 
just like the bishopric. An office that operates, has responsibilities and duties in the functioning, the operation of the body of Christ. And then when they get to Romans here, they go, oh, no, 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 it's just, it's the generic meaning. It's, she's just a servant, just like everybody else. Well, tonight, I challenge anybody that's here or is listening or will listen in the future, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways because you're protesting too much. My lady doth protest too much. You're very obvious why you're protesting. Because if, in fact, Phoebe is a deacon, then that means that Paul, yes, is speaking from a cultural assumption and from what was probably much more normal, namely... There were more men who were bishops and deacons than there were women. But speaking from an assumption and what was more normal is very different than a scripture that is a mandate or an instruction. So you can't go and say, well, see, he said man. No, that was his assumption. He was dealing with what he was dealing with there. And it's clear from chapter 2 that he is dealing with Women who have not been properly trained. That's why he says they need to learn. But here, his most important letter, and no scholar disagrees with this. Romans is his most important letter. And he leaves it in the hands of a deacon named Phoebe. And he says to the church at Rome, I commend you. And I ask you, I didn't have them put up verse 2, sorry. The next one says, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Okay, so I think it would be a mistake when we examine 1 Timothy chapter 3 and these two what seem to be offices or, or structures within the church to overread their application to be an only male. All right? Now, that's as far as I'm going to go tonight with that. You want to duke that out with me a little bit more? Come talk to me, and we'll, we'll do that. And I may do a teaching at another point. Um, I have nearly 40 hours in which I deal with this because there's a lot of other scriptures that completely displace this notion. You're going to have to hang your hat on one scripture, the core of which is possibly a made-up word. And I'm not saying it, it, it's not word of God. I'm talking about we don't know what it means. We don't know how to drill out its meaning. And it's been a great minefield for scholars because they've written hundreds, if not thousands of books trying to break this word down. But we're never going to be able to do it because we have no place else to go to fully get the full dimensions of it. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is, is if, as in lesson one of this series, we're all leaders. We all have a place of influence. We all have a responsibility not to allow our youth to be despised, but to grow in godliness, to develop our leadership, if you will. Then why is Paul drawing out these two particular, if you will, offices? or functions within the church. Now, here's the simple answer. You ready for this? Because a purely democratic structure doesn't 
ever work. That's why the United States of America, as much as we rally for democracy, we're not actually a democracy. We're a republic. And our roots of that republic were less than stellar. It wasn't just against slaves, those who were from Africa, and it wasn't just against women that were disenfranchised. No, 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 no. If you didn't own land, you didn't have any say. Okay, now I'm not here to give you a civics lesson. What I am here to tell you is, is that a democracy is a grand concept that is defeated every single time by a product of sin, namely self-interest. It just never works because I want my way. Every man and every woman thinks they are right in their own eyes. And so what happens is, and we already heard this morning, very well put, that God's economy is an economy of monarchy, a supreme king who is good. But we live in a broken world. And in that broken world, God takes his supreme authority and in very limited fashion, he extends it into the hands of human beings for a particular purpose and for a particular time. I don't have time to go into all of that, but you cannot have authority that extends beyond your purpose or beyond your time and it be from God. Because God knows that no human can hold that power unless it's limited. It must have accountability to it. It must have limitations on it. Because power will corrupt us. We are never fully just, no matter how much we want to be. We are never righteous, even though we seek to be. We do not always make the right decisions, even though we pursue paths trying to get to those right decisions. We're broken, and God knows it. So within his body, he sets up structures that are accountable. And what's key to this is if all of us do not understand that we are all leaders and we are all filled with his spirit, and we have all been imbued with authority, and we all have a role and function within the body. God cannot call to unique places of operation members of his body to carry out a particular purpose for a particular season or time because what holds that power or delegated authority is the check of all the believers. That's why in Ephesians he tells, Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, submit yourselves one to another. Only after that, that as he begin to turn to the marriage relationship and use Christ and the church as an example, he starts with all of us in submission one to another. So gentlemen, ladies, if you do not understand that you have been called to be in submission to one another in your marriage relationship, I don't know how you're going to then carry out submission to one another within the body of Christ. If I cannot submit to my wife, then how am I going to, she who is one flesh with me, she who holds my body as literally hers. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7. This body is literally hers. 
And if I can't submit to her and she can't submit to me mutually, then how am I ever going to submit to Sister Wendy? Because we ain't one flesh. She don't own my body. I ain't living with her. Never planned to. I think it's probably mutual. And yet the scriptures are very clear that we, the body of Christ, are being submission one to another, and then I'm not to be in submission to my wife. So there's a real problem here. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. It goes back to this, women, you're wanting to run everything, and men, you're wanting to dominate everything. You don't like it when the woman runs everything, and so she, you react and, and you act inappropriately. And just because some of you act or react in a different manner, don't tell me that you don't act or react. There is a battle of the sexes. Period. And it's a broken battle. It's a battle that Christ calls us. Now, guess what? There's a battle of who's in control. There's a battle of who has responsibility, and it's present within the church. So God has set up offices without question. Now, what I want to draw your attention to in these two offices, as opposed to doing a deep dive, if you will, of, of looking at these, these specific areas of of what's going on and what are the prerequisites and what are required and all of these kinds of things. Instead, what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to two things. And i got to do it quickly, okay? Um, I'd be better off if I had those three minutes and ten seconds, but anyway. <laughs> Just because I'm out of town don't mean I don't know what's going on. I want to draw your attention to two things. And my timer's telling me I need to stop, but I, I want to give these to you very quick. First, in the office of bishop, it's very interesting to me. And again, I want to deal with this not as specific as bishop and, and deacon, but more of this leaders, church leaders, that have a specific purpose and a specific timing for that purpose. They are operating in delegated authority according to God's structure, and it always has a limitation on it. Okay? First is, is that Paul says... Do not put into the office of the bishop, the overseer, someone who is a new believer because a new believer is susceptible to pride. That's an interesting observation. I think that's important. I think to a group of people who are here in a servantship meeting, a meeting about leadership, I think it's important for you and I to understand that as you take each step forward in leadership, you have got to be conscious of the susceptibility of yourself to pride. Pride. In other words, there better be an equal portion of responsibility with the authority. There needs to be experience developed over time. I read a quote somewhere, and I don't know who did it. I, it was on some social media somewhere, but talked about, I think it was like 30 years. It was some inordinate amount of time. Maybe 30 was a little long. That Dwight D. Eisenhower remained in an army and did nothing. Are you the one that tweeted it? You've seen it? Okay. And then went on after a long period of staying, goes on to become commander-in-chief of the Allied Forces and then president of the United States. Arguably, in his day and age, the two most powerful positions to be held. One of the best gifts my father ever gave to me 
was that for 20 years of my life, he sat on me as peers of mine would go forward and they would do great things in the world and I'd be sitting around going, what am I doing? And he just sat on me. Not physically. <laughs> Held me down. Because I face some decisions and some responsibilities in this era of my life right now that it would be easy to be lifted up in pride. But there's a sobriety, there's a seriousness, there's an awareness of responsibility along with the authority. <laughs> that frankly, as I've jokingly and not so jokingly told you, the moment God says, okay, you're done, I will gladly relinquish. This isn't about my pride. This isn't about me being right or wrong. This isn't about me exercising authority. This is about soberness. This is about understanding that I am operating in a delegated authority that comes from Almighty God, and he expects that to be done properly. So as you desire to be a leader, you've got to be willing to undergo the process of killing your flesh, the seat of your pride. And, frankly, I will probably be a prime instrument in helping kill that pride. I know, it got quiet. That's what one generation does for the next. That's why it's so susceptible to abuse. And yet, you can't skip it. So we can't just set it up so that there's no abuse. We've got to set it up where there's a gravity about the responsibility and an exercising of that authority from that gravity place that then builds the next generation or the ones that are to come in the time and the place or the purpose. If I succeed at what God has called me to do in this local context, there will come a day when I can no longer pastor it. It will go beyond what I can do. And it's critical that we have prepared for that day. It's critical. So a new believer is susceptible to pride. The second one is in the deacons that I want to draw your attention to, and then I'm done tonight. Deacons, which seem to be being presented here as a first rung or a, an entry point or a, a lower place. I don't imagine bishops answering to deacons. I imagine deacons answering to bishops. Okay. Deacons require close examination, even testing. How do you respond to the process of close examination and testing? Our day and age is such that we are so, and I mean this kindly and respectfully, but we are so insecure that any critique, any challenge, any questioning, immediately drives to the heart of our insecurities and to, the, and to the problems that we've had, whether it coming from parents that didn't treat us right or school circumstances that didn't treat us right or circumstances that I admit are not godly and they're not from God. And yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you are to lead, you've got to be willing to be tested and you've got to be willing to be closely examined. Why? Yes, once again, those who are closely examining you and even testing you can use that to abuse you. But that's not the intent. 
It's meant to make it so that you are safe, so that you do not fall prey to the devil. So you can understand, I come full circle, with these two concerns, pride and testing, accountability, close examination. And I have a hard time taking the passage that speaks of that and using it to look at women and say, thanks, sis. You can run everything in the church. You just don't get to get the office of running everything in the church. <laughs> we'll let you work as hard as you want to work. We just not going to let you sit in our seats. We're not going to let you into our spaces. We're not going to let you hold our titles or our offices or our responsibilities. No, no, no. You can work hard. But then you go sit down and be quiet like a good little girl. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, you hear me. There's pride present in those statements. You know why? Because I have that pride. You are looking at someone that has no problem stating to the world that I want to run the whole world. I don't think it's just women that need to sit down and be quiet. I think all of you need to sit down and be quiet. I only know by the word of God and by scripture that that's pride and that's wrong, but that's my instinct. That is how I see the world. I was born to rule the world and that is pride. And God says, I want nothing of it for if you are to be in my kingdom, you are not to exercise authority that way. You are to be in submission one to another. You are to esteem one another higher than yourself. You are to be servants. He who would be greatest must be the least among you. So, do we have a passage from Paul that's a little confusing? Really? You don't know your Bible very well if you think we only got one. Even Peter said, these passages are hard to be understood that a brother Paul wrote. No, no, no. You hear me in this middle stage of my life. I'm done with this. I'm done with this foolishness. These offices are to be held with humility or the devil will use them. These offices require you to be examined by others who will take it all the way to the place of testing you, testing your patience, testing your attitude, testing your conduct. But they're necessary because they provide oversight and they provide service and they provide functions within the body that are critical to the body. Now, my closing statement is this. Isn't it funny that the dude that Paul has already, in previous lessons we know, the dude that Paul says, don't let them despise your youth. It's to him that these instructions are going. It's to him that as if he's the one that has some kind of authority from Paul to even set this structure up. So for all of you who would like to use these passages to grasp 
and to control. I say within the local church context, and if the shoe fits outside of here, then put it on. Watch your pride. As Tom Fred Tenney, who's now passed away, one of the two men under whom I finally submitted to God and received my calling says, even more important than the way you ascend is the way you descend. If I can adapt that, as critical as it is for you to find your calling in God, it's equally critical that you hold that calling lightly because there will come a day when God takes it back because it was his from day one anyway. And the scriptures say, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness. Let us make them male and female. God is a God of justice, and there is no way as much as I want to Say I'm superior to my wife. I'm not. As much as I want to say I'm superior to all of you, I'm not. And if you don't fight this battle of pride, you'll fall prey to the devil. And he will wreak havoc within your life. Praise God. Let's stand. Oh, goodness, Rachel, I can't even blame you. I went 11 minutes over. <laughs> How long did you preach, Desi? Maybe I stole some. Maybe you took some of my time, too. No, wait a minute. That's a different service. Oh, it's all Russ's fault. That's what it is. He stole my time. Would you lift your hands to the Lord Jesus Christ and thank him? Would you lift your voice and say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, Lord? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to hear from these letters to leaders, Lord, to learn and to grow, Lord, in our leadership. God, I praise you and I worship you and I thank you, Lord. Glory to the name of Jesus. Glory to the name of Jesus. We worship you and we praise you, Lord.